All right, good evening, everyone. The time now is 6.35. Thank you so much for your patience this evening. I'm Kimberly M. Starks, accredited public relations practitioner and principal consultant of the specialist communications firm Blue Scorpion Reputation Management. This evening, we have the distinct pleasure of having David Haley, CEO and founder of Countify, join us this evening. David, how are you? What's up, Kim? How you doing? <laughs> doing Thank good. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm not saying distinguished. I feel so special. <laughs> I'm just Dave, just a regular guy. Yeah, we roll out the red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you having me. Yes. So the discussion for this evening is all about AI, artificial intelligence, and this is your lane. We love amplifying technology-based companies. Yours is one of them. So we want to dive right in and yeah. talk about you and your business. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself. A little bit about me. I am a country boy from North Carolina. Um, I've been, we live in Atlanta now, live in Atlanta, been in Atlanta for about 15, 16 years. Okay. Um, but uh, fresh out of, out of school, went to, went to North Carolina State, um, and I'm an accountant, actually. I have an undergrad and master's in accounting, so I don't have a te technical background at all. Um, and actually worked for an accounting firm for a while, for about eight years. Worked for EY for about eight years. Left there, went to business school. Went to business school at, at Duke back in North Carolina. Um, and then worked for Delta Airlines. Worked for Delta Airlines for about eight years in an accounting capacity and in uh, loyalty as well. So Sky Miles. Worked in Sky Miles, credit cards, doing that stuff. Before I left to, to start to start Countify. So it's been an interesting journey, not very traditional from a technology perspective. Um, like I said, accounting debits and credits is a long way from computer computer vision, Python, and gold code, right? And so HTML code. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very interesting journey, but I wouldn't replace it for the world. It's been fun. Now that's interesting, and I, I want to hear all about that journey from accounting, crunching numbers, to starting your own technology company. That is so interesting. But I, I want to hear a little more about your upbringing in North Carolina. Share with us some fun facts and anecdotes from you fun growing up in Riley. facts and anecdotes. Yeah. So I grew up in a small town called Southern Pines. Okay. Right, it's about an hour and a half south of Raleigh. Um, I'm trying to think fun facts. The, the road in front of my house wasn't even paved till I was like in eighth grade. Wow. So I'm a dirt road kid, right? <laughs> Uh, grew up riding motorcycles, having fun outside. Um, I have two younger brothers. We're all five years apart. Um, one is in Atlanta. One is still in North Carolina. Um, two loving parents, David and Kate. I'm a junior. I have a son who's a third. Um, but yeah, North Carolina was a great place to grow up. I, I no, I no doubt. So one one fun fact actually for that I don't tell a ton of people. I was a terrible stutterer. I used to stutter so bad when I grew when I was growing up till probably like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Like so, and I still stutter to this day at some at sometimes, but to a point where it was hard to talk. Like hard to had speech therapists, all kind of stuff. And so, I from a uh, you know growing up as a stutterer, I, but I was always kind of a jokester as well. So growing up as a stutterer, I always remember the people who used to pick on me at when I was a stutterer. When I stopped stuttering, I used I, I returned the favor tenfold. <laughs> so I, I used to pickle people like after like, all the people who used to pickle me, I got back at them like nonstop. And so I'm still a joke to this day. 
still joke, still Joan folks, uh, going back and forth, rib all the time. So, um, but I mean, it's all about having a good time, right? All have, having a good time. Life is too short. You gotta have fun. That is so true. Oh my goodness. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear your story. It sounds like uh, Southern Pines. Southern Pines. Southern yeah. Pines was, <laughs> exactly. It's just like Atlanta. You know, there's some roads that still aren't paved. Exactly. That's true. That's true. You can go to a lot of places <laughs> in Atlanta. There's still some some dirt roads. There's exactly. Still some very country folks. Right. Right. In my neighborhood, and I'm right in downtown Atlanta. You can still see some dirt chickens road. walking around. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's very true. That's yes. Very true. Yes. So I, I love your your story of, of your upbringing because it's a story of overcoming uh, a- adversity and being able to then, you know, share or show your your triumph. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I think I think it was it was kind of doing the best of what you had, and we weren't struggling by any means. I mean, you know, very loving household, mom and dad always always there, always had my back. Very tight knit family. I have a, a large family as well, cousins and aunts and uncles all over the place you know very very small tight-knit community i remember uh talking to my sons now about um just being outside i remember walking from home in from kindergarten like being in kindergarten and walking like i don't know five six seven blocks wasn't that far but it was just that tight of a community where you'll see five-year-olds six-year-olds seven-year-olds walking from home like it's no big deal right and i don't think you have that as much anymore you don't have, especially in the big city, you don't yeah. have five-year-olds walking from walking blocks from home. Somebody be ready right? to call exactly. me fast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, and I love that small-town upbringing just because it builds character, builds a sense of community, um, and you have people that you can rely on that are very dependable. And I think those kind of characteristics are, are the characteristics we look for when we, when we you know, bring on people in the company. Right? Are you dependable? Are you reliable? Uh, are, you, are you positive? Right. A posit- half of it, half of, you know, being successful, I think, is just being positive and showing up. That's right. Right. Because a lot of people, it's always negativity. I'm, I'm the ultimate optimist as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think just being having that attitude, having a positive attitude is half the battle. Right. Because yes. it's always things are never, uh, never going to go your way. It's always going to be cloudy. Something's not going to happen, especially in entrepreneurship. Right. Right. So you just have to learn to be able to, to be positive and adapt. That is so true. And you're, you're absolutely right. You have to have positive people who believe in you around you at all, all times. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree. absolutely. I agree. So I, I love hearing your story and how you had a humble upbringings. Now you are an entrepreneur. You worked at EY for a number of years and then moved on to Delta. So Talk about that balance between professional life and having, you know, the personal life and family, deep family values. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because when I was in ENY, I was you know traveling. I was consulting, accounting, and consulting, and traveling a hundred percent of the time, right? Okay. Um, then I got married, right? And you're still traveling, and still. I remember the first. The, the funny part is, I was my last year at. EY, um, or just take this back. So I got engaged. I, I was traveling 100% of the time. I got engaged. So the, the, we were engaged for about a year. Um, when we got married, I was still traveling. So the, my year of my engagement, I was traveling 100%. And the first year, my first year and a half of my 
marriage, I was traveling 100%, right? And when I say 100%, I'm leaving Monday morning, coming back Thursday night or Friday, right? Oh, you were traveling. For, I was traveling. Yeah. yeah, I was traveling. So that's 100%. Like, it's nothing worse than the Atlanta airport Monday morning. It's, it makes for the worst Sunday nights. You cannot believe. Everybody's coming and going. <laughs> Everybody's coming and going. Yeah. It, uh, the saying is whether you're going to heaven or hell, you got a connection in Atlanta, right? <laughs> so it's, it, it, was, it was tough. But I think part of that is just understanding kind of what's important and realizing the reason I left NY was because, you know, I'm traveling too much. I'm on the road constantly. I will never be able to build a successful family this way. Like I'm okay. always, always on the road, always eating out, gaining weight, drinking every day. Like it's it's a good young young man's life, right? It's a okay. great young man's life. You're traveling around the world, having a good time. Um, but I think once you you settle down, realize kind of what your values are, what's important, where, where do you want to be, what are your goals, yeah. right? And how do you want to live your life long term? Then some changes had to be made, right? But I don't regret it at all. Like I okay. mean. But having those jobs, traveling, I think is a great foundation. And it's part of the reason I started Counterfy, truthfully, because hmm. being able to be an accountant, going into companies, understanding what their balance sheet, what their financials look like, what is what are their problems, right? Because really all, I think, successful companies are really are all about solving a problem, yeah. right? And so that's what we try to do at Counterfy. How can we solve your inventory issues an easy way? Because in, counting inventory, managing inventory sucks. We all realize that any company that has inventory has an inventory problem, 100%, right? So we go in and say, is there a way that we can help mitigate those those issues, add controls, and make it easy to do? Um, and so that background at ENY, even the background at Delta, kind of set the foundation for, for starting a company. So when was the aha moment? Because you were at EMY, and right. and I agree with you. When you're young, you're like, that's all I want to do. I want to travel. Wanna kick it. Yeah, right. Kick it. <laughs> and then you get over that. It. And then you moved on to Delta. So talk about the aha moment when you realized, okay, I'm choosing entrepreneurship. I think it was when talking to other accountants. So it sounds very, very boring, but as, a, as an airline auditor, and this was like the first, second, or third year I was at Delta, there's an airline audit conference, right? And so sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. Exactly. <laughs> we were in Vegas though. We were in Vegas. Okay. So makes it makes it, it makes it better. Uh, we were in Vegas airline audit conference, and we talk about kind of what's going on. What are we looking at from an airline perspective? And one of the issues that came up is is onboard inventory. Like, how do we manage? How are not individual airlines, but how is the industry itself managing onboard inventory? And what I realized is there it was an industry problem. Like it, it wasn't Delta, United, American specific, but industry wide, like large your large airlines can spend hundreds of millions of dollars for onboard inventory. That's the food, liquor, beer, wine that you enjoy while you're on the plane. Hundreds of millions of dollars, but can lose anywhere from fifteen to twenty to thirty percent of that balance just of like lack of controls, just because of there's a lot. Usually there's a third party that's intervening, a third-party caterer that manages those items. You have flight attendants, you have pilots, you have you know, cater, I mean, cleaners as well on the plane. So a lot of people have access to this type of inventory. And when you have a lack of controls and a ton of people with access, it's just natural that you're gonna have areas of improvement, right? There are areas of opportunity to improve, right? And so my aha moment was just talking 
to my peer group at the time and saying, how can we, we all have the same problem. It's an industry-wide problem, and no one's really doing a lot to address that issue. And so I was like, I think there's a solution here. And how can I, we try to develop a solution to address this problem. Because like I said, your, your big airlines spend hundreds of millions of dollars. I was thinking, you get two airlines, I can save them, you know, several tens of millions of dollars. I can start a company with that. Right. And so that's how the aha moment is. Now, I had the problem. I knew what the problem was. What I did not have was a solution. Like, I'm not a techie. I don't know anything about I did not know anything about technology. And so have, trying to develop a solution, I think, was the hardest part. But I did start with a problem. I knew what the problem was specifically. Okay. And I knew who my target market was at the time. Okay. Right? So that's kind of to answer your question. The aha moment was like, oh, th this is my target. Here's a problem they have. Now, let me figure out a solution. Now, I never would have thought that peanuts and Coke cans, things of things of that nature would cost an airline so much and that there is a lot of or an opportunity for a lot of waste well, in that area. And, and is that what you mean when you say inventory management? Yep, Break exactly it down for us. So you think about um, so there's a lot of money in liquor. Airline yeah. liquor, right? Okay. So your big, your big U.S. carriers, your Deltas, United, Americans, even Southwest. You think about a bottle of Bacardi, a miniature bottle of Bacardi, right? That might cost a dollar, right? It's a dollar that the airline might pay for it. I don't know exactly how much they pay, but it's say around a dollar. Your large carriers, uh, again, Delta, United, American, have they all have about three point, anywhere from three to three and a half, three point five million flights a year. Right. And so that bottle of Bacardi, there might be 20 of those on each flight. OK. OK. So think about if one bottle, let's just say United, for example, if one bottle of Bacardi is missing on each flight, it might be a dollar, but you got three point five million flights a year. Right. And let's say two bottles. Right. So if one bottle is missing or two bottles are missing a year. That is already a six to ten million dollar problem. And we're talking about one bottle, one miniature bottle of Bacardi. Right. So you just think about the volume of the items they have and they spend way more than a dollar. Each each plane probably has a hundred, several hundred dollars of inventory on it. And so adding controls to that and making sure you're smarter about what what happens, it, it's once you add the controls to one flight, you multiply that flight times three point five million. It's a large number. It's right. A large number. Just say I, I can save you ten dollars a flight. Oh, yeah. OK. Ten dollars a flight is not a whole lot of money, but we have three point five million flights a year. Right. So that number grows very, very quickly when you think about the overall volume of that each airline has. Right. And, and I, I like how you broke that down. But I want to know. When you while you were at Delta. Did you already have that entrepreneurial spirit or. Did you take it to someone else and they were like, nah. And then you decided, okay, I'm going to strike out on my own. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, but not nothing nothing that was material or nothing okay. that was concrete, right? Because uh, every entrepreneur knows, especially startup entrepreneurs, there's nothing like insurance and there's nothing like getting a check on the 1st and the 15th, right? Those are two <laughs> things that make it hard to be an entrepreneur, yeah. right? Because, like, it's nothing like insurance and on a, a steady check. Whether you work hard or not, right? The check comes on the first of the fifteenth, right? And there were good checks. They were good, <laughs> yeah. checks. 
Um, so I, I had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I didn't, I don't know if I had the, the risk tolerance, right? I think okay. to be an entrepreneur, it takes a certain amount of risk tolerance, um, at that time. But I think as you go, as you grow in corporate America, you come to a point where, okay, I'm either going to do this balls against the wall wholeheartedly. Like I'm yeah. going to make, I'm going to be vice president, senior vice president, whatever I'm going to do, partner in my firm or whatever I'm going to do, or I'm going to do something else, right? Because both are hard. Yeah. Step like, to be, in the road. Exactly. To be a, to be a partner in an, an accounting firm or law firm or to be a vice president or senior vice president in any of these major companies, none of that's easy. But being an entrepreneur is not easy as well. No. And the issue is with on the corporate side, there's more there's more of a safety net. Like as I said, yeah. you as you go up and you figure it out, like they're still paying you. Right. <laughs> you're, exactly. You're still getting a check. You still don't have to to and a lot of times that check is very very good, right? Yeah. Very good. And so I think you have to have some tor- some type of risk tolerance. Say I'm gonna be ri- I'm gonna risk it all to go out here and yeah. see if I can make this work, right? And it takes a lot of communication. Takes a lot of you know me, my wife, my family had to like here's what I'm support. a lot of support, mm-hmm. and that that support is not always easy to give either, yeah. right? And so I think it is it, it's a hard decision. Um, it makes it easier. If I didn't have a family and support system, I would not have been able to do it. True, okay. like I would not. There was no way in the world I would have been able to do it because I was. I mean, I was almost forty, right? Starting this with two kids. A wife, right? A whole family, a, a lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and so I think it takes you. You have to sit down and sit down and evaluate all of that. Um, and it's it's not gonna happen overnight. Like one thing I do realize is that I always I underestimated starting a company. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough time, and I didn't have enough expertise. I think that's the case for all exactly. of us. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought, oh I got the solution. I'm I'm leaving leaving a company. Oh, Delta's gonna buy this tomorrow. Like, <laughs> duh, right? It's gonna be a million dollar contract. Uh, we were at the time we had started, and we were uh, talking to Delta and talking to Lufthansa, two you know two obviously very large companies, um, and it was just me and like two developers. But we knew a very specific problem, right? We we coming we're coming in like we know your problem, and we have a solution that can solve your problem, right? Um, and then this was the end of 2019. I left my job at in 2019, full-time job 2019. Yeah. I started started uh, the company in 2018. Um, you know, just trying to midnight uh, moonlighting yeah. in a sense. Um, work had a nine to five and a five to nine, right? right. Um, but I think, and then what happens with 2019? We were actually starting about to start a project with Delta, um, and going back and forth to Frankfurt to start a project with Lufthansa. And uh, Mar- I think it was February 21st, I think, uh, 2020, when COVID hit. Yeah. COVID hit, everything airline-related shut down. Right. Everything travel-related shut down, right? And so then you got to figure it out. Oh, well, hell, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now, right? Because yeah. they're not spending any more money. So that was a long – I don't even remember your question, but, but that was a long answer to what it was. But, no, your, your story is incredible because you are one of the few entrepreneurs that – I know of who went international out the gate and I want to touch on that, but I want to roll it back just a bit because I don't know whether our audience knows or has a full spectrum of what 
artificial intelligence is, how yep. that plays in the aviation industry. So share with us what artificial intelligence is, why you chose that as the solution to the problem, and mm -hmm. what that does, how it performs in the aviation industry. Yeah, so artificial intelligence is really a way to make a computer act like a human, think like a human, right? And so, so from a from a tech perspective, what we do is instead of manually counting, say we say, hey, you you can have, and we if we take the liquor example or the beverage example from any airline, you think about what the beverages that come off the plane. Uh, instead of a person manually counting those 30 or so miniature bottles, right? We will take a picture of it. We'll take one picture, and in that one picture, it takes about a second to take the picture. We'll tell you, you have five bottles of Bacardi, three bottles of Jack Daniels, four bottles of, of Bailey's uh, in that one image. And so where it might take someone, let's say, 35 seconds to count, it'll take us less than a second to count. And so the artificial intelligence piece is how can we make our computer or our platform simulate what a human would do okay. so it's really our artificial intelligence is it's intelligence on the human but it's artificial because a, a computer is doing it right yeah um and so from to to solve the specific inventory problem that we're, we're talking about there was a couple of options that we had so with the advancement of computer vision and deep learning and artificial intelligence all those nerd techie words um th that's that was one option Another option to count items is, is RFID. People have heard RFID tags where you have to put an item, put a, a sticker, so to speak, on each individual inventory item. And when those inventory items pass a sensor or beacon, then it can count them as well. Okay. Um, that was what potentially one solution. Uh, and a lot of inventory companies are use RFID because um, it's, it's just very, it's, it's an older technology, but it's very widely used. Um, and so, and then it's manual counting, right? And so you ask, why do we use AI? Is because from a, if we just start with the airline example, you look, think of those miniature bottles, nobody's going to put a sticker RFID tag on each individual bottle, right? It doesn't, it, it's not cost conscious. It really doesn't make sense. And so we had to come up with another solution and it really just was just timing. With the timing of the advancement of computer vision and deep learning, it made sense for us to say, hey, can we apply this technology to the problem that we're trying to address okay and that and that is so cool you found yourself immediately as a tech founder how did that change your world um i don't know so i'm 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 an optimist but i'm also a realist so i don't feel like my world has changed that much um just because we're still a startup like we're still in the trenches we're still grinding and and trying to make it work every day right um so i don't feel like that we have we still have a long way to go i think that we are they so there, there are 300 airlines in the world um and so that means we have 300 300 airlines in the world that cater like okay. that provide inventory on, on on planes um and so then we have we have a long a long way to go we're, we're working with emirates now in dubai we're about to start a project with Delta as well. We're you know going back and forth with, with United, um, and so we have big name, big name companies that we're working with. But I mean, that's only three. There's 300, right? So there's still a long way to go, and we're getting into the healthcare as well, right? So we're getting into healthcare, hospitals, 
we have a couple or we have one main healthcare client now. But when I say there's 300 hospitals in the world, we're currently in Atlanta, Georgia. There's 300 hospitals in Georgia, right? So the healthcare market is just so much, so Wide much larger, open. right? And so we just have to position ourselves that we can be have a scalable, sustainable solution. Um, that can address all these problems in the industries that we're focused on. And it sounds like you certainly have that. And you know what? I definitely want to give you your flowers and your shout out because you were recently featured in Ebony magazine. We were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it was it was random because somebody called me and told me. I, I don't think Ebony even called me. Um, it, and it, they did a special on uh, entrepreneurs, like obviously Ebony, so it was black entrepreneurs in Atlanta. And we were one of the companies that they that they that they focused on, so which is great, which is great. Like, you know, you, you, it's not a whole lot of flowers, so to speak, as the young folks say <laughs> nowadays. Um, it's not a whole lot of flowers that are given, and so it's good to get a little bit of recognition for the work you do. Yeah, yeah, you're international. How are you able to achieve that, being a startup technology company right out the gate? Um, you just have a very, just being very focused about who you're targeting. Right. Okay. So we knew that certain airlines from an airline perspective, we knew that certain airlines are more innovative than others. Right. And certain airlines spend more money. So if you think about how a lot of the full service carriers spend a lot more. So Emirates was a target. Obviously, it's a very, very strong brand in the airline perspective. They have you know, they spend a lot of money on the customer experience. Right. And so we knew that the processes themselves innately are still similar. But, you know, Emirates pro probably spends, I don't know if I can say the number, but they spend several hundred dollars just on their first class meal and their business class meal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and all your, your international full service carriers do your Emirates, your Etihad, your Qatar, your Singapore. They spend a lot of money for their business class. It's perishable, like the, the steak and the, the, salmon and the fish and the chicken that you get when you're sitting in in business class and first class meals and so what we we targeted them because we knew hey we know you're spending you know hundreds of millions of dollars on these those, these items every year um what are your controls around them right and we knew the industry-wide issue and so we said hey we have a, pro a platform that could help solve your your issue help sustainability right everybody has sustainability goals right how can we reduce waste Reducing waste goes by right, reduce costs, reduce costs, also reduces fuel because we're reducing the weight that you put on the plane. Right. Less weight also equals less labor costs, right? So it takes less people to do the thing. So, you know, there's four or five ways that we feel like we can save you, save you money. We feel like it's a no-brainer. So, okay, we always have what we call story time, a segment during our program. And I am interested to know, because you've started your company, you're helping to save millions for the airline industry. Share with us a story where, from beginning to end, you just was able to provide spectacular service to an international carrier. So with this, this so a car uh, one carrier, we were looking at food. We were looking at the food that comes off the plane, right? Okay. And so what we realized is, a certain uh, bread, like croissants, so to speak. Croissants were coming back. Um, and we're like, hey, it's, it's crazy that on these breakfast meals, a lot of the croissants are coming back. Um, and I think, I can't remember the, the percentage. It was, a you know, 40% of the croissants were coming back. And 
and then what we also realized, well, if the croissant comes back, then the which you know costs a couple dollars, but also the the butter comes back, which also and then the jam that's beside the croissant yeah. also comes back, right? So when you think it's just a croissant problem, which is might be only a dollar, now you add butter, now you add a jam, mm-hmm. which now you got three dollars and fifty cents. Okay. Right, and so now what what can we do to help help that? Now it's, it's several options. The options are really Im- limitless, but what end up happening is let's reduce the size of the croissant because people still want still might want a croissant we can reduce the size of croissant we can reduce the amount of butter reduce the amount of, of jam we do we use and reduce that 350 three three dollars fifty cent um to a dollar fifty so reduce it by two dollars per plate right and now again we, we're talking about millions of flights a year yeah. right and so you start reducing those 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 items and it seems small uh, but when you multiply it by the volume there is a large, a very large saving. So bread is just one example, um, but we can look at food. I mean, we can look at, you know, fruit also. We can look at a ton of stuff, like people going to certain, another example, um, people leaving, if you think about in the U.S., people flying, a very specific example, flying from New York to Vegas, right, drink more than people flying from New York to Salt Lake City. It's yeah. just everybody. Everybody drinks more going to Vegas, right? So, so why why am I drinking? Why am I loading the same amount of alcohol on the New York to Vegas flight as I'm doing the New York to Salt Lake City flight? That makes sense. Because people are not drinking as much to New York and and Vegas. It doesn't matter. It can be a six a.m. flight. When you land, the liquor is going to be empty, right? right? <laughs> Salt Lake City, six a.m. Nobody's drinking. Yeah. Right. So, can we save that amount? Can we reduce that amount of alcohol? Reduce that. Am- amount of inventory to to give a, to reduce expenses and, and and save the airline money so you're really in the sustainability business yeah exactly yeah so it's, and it like i said it goes downstream as well because if i remove one liquor tray and say hey we still want a customer experience our our first class or business class customers wants to make sure he or she has their mccallan 12 or you know glenn livet 15 or whatever it is at six o'clock in the morning, I can still have some items on the plane, um, but do I need do I need ten of them, right? Do I need five of them? So can I reduce that? And that that liquor tray itself might weigh, um, trying to think, six pounds, right? And every airline has a coefficient. Every every pound equals this much fuel, okay? Right? Or this much fuel and this much fuel costs. Yeah. So if I can re- re- remove ten to fifteen pounds of weight from a plane. That might equal, you know, ten to fifteen dollars of fuel that I'm also going to save. It adds up, and it adds up again. Three point five million flights a year. Yeah. Right. And so you start multiplying these numbers. They might seem small on a per flight basis, but on an annual basis, you'll see that there's this is very material savings. Now your business is very successful, and you have the opportunity to really grow and scale. For our listeners and viewers out there, share some advice of some of the times where you felt like, am I, am I going to make it? And what you would offer to those entrepreneurs to get past that hurdle? You know, I would say it's, it's really, it's not even survival of the fit, fittest. It's just, they say that entrepreneurs don't fail. They just give up. Hmm. Right. And so it's really about not giving up and, it, but it's hard, but especially as minority entrepreneurs, you know, in the tech space, there's not a lot of minorities in the tech space. 
which means there's not a lot of times there's not a lot of capital uh, provided capital that you can get because your network people people work with who they like right people True. work with who they like people lend money to who they like True. right and so you can have a group of minority entrepreneurs in, in a room and say how many VCs do you know right and the the a couple of people might raise their hand now in Atlanta it's getting more and more more and more yeah. prevalent um, but you can have another room of non-minority uh, tech startups in a room and how many VCs you know I bet 50 60 percent will raise their hand right just yeah. because their network is different right and which means their network is different their access to capital is different so my advice would be one expand your network right expand your network find people talk to people before you need them Right, because nobody al- wants somebody always asking for stuff, That's right? True. And think about if you have a relationship, what can you va- what can you add to the relationship as well? Yeah. And it'd be a give take, not just a, a take take take, right? Exactly. Um, so I would say that one expanding your network to people who don't look like you, to people who might you might be uncomfortable with, like oh this person has raised this much money or this person has done X Y and Z. Go to those. Go to the dinner. Go to the happy hour. Do that, even though you're tired, even though you don't, you don't want to do it. Do that. Um, and then I would say um, plan. Like plan as if whatever you think is going to take six months is probably going to take 18 months. So true. Right? Yes. <laughs> like, it's it's going to take longer than you anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just say, say plan. Plan, plan, plan. And add, like, add a year to everything you think is going to happen. That's true because in your business, you're talking international business. So that means longer lead times. Your close on a, on a client would not be tomorrow if oh, you no. started with them the day before. At all. At all. I mean, the sales cycle can be six months to 18 to 24 months, yeah. right? It can be a long, long time. And so, but, and you're right, international clients, it, it can take a while to close. It is what it is April right now. I have been just working on Emirates clients. I have been to Dubai three times in the last three and a half months, right? Which is which is tough, right? And it's not yeah. cheap. It's it's hard, but it is it's something that we we need to do. We have to do to make sure we service our clients because there might be someone that is in the area that can do the same thing we can do, right? And so what we have to do is make sure that we have we we have a service that they find value in. And we can de- we can deliver as well, and sometimes that means oh I got to be go to Dubai next week, right? And to get, or I got to go to Dubai tomorrow, right? Because <laughs> something's met, something's not working, or somebody on the team has to go somewhere at a drop of a dime because yeah. we have because um, we have an issue we have to deal with. That's a good point though. You have to be nimble, especially yeah. you yeah. because you're not operating just in Atlanta. You're operating worldwide. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the good part. I guess the good part about being in Atlanta, right, because you can get to almost anywhere in the world yeah. at one stop. Um, and so it is It is a plus. It's a gift and a curse, right? But you can get some places, and then, but, you know, people expect you to be places, right? right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it, it's, it's good to have that flexibility, um, but you also have to plan for it and be very strategic about what you do. And in the same vein, you have a support team. So less – Let's do a shout out. You mentioned your wife, your your kids, your parents as being your support system. Who else, if you had the opportunity to give a shout out to help you get to where you are right now? Oh, man, there's so many people, so many people. When we first started, um, 
you know, we have Goody Nation is a great is a, a great um, organization okay. that tries to bring together black founders. Um, one thing we are um, Atlanta Tech Village. Atlanta Tech Village is great. Our first offices were at Atlanta Tech Village. Um, ATDC at Georgia Tech is a, another great uh, organization. We currently have offices at the Russell Center. Russell Center downtown. It's amazing. Uh, it's very cool. Jay Bailey and his team does a great job of making sure you're curating, um, curating experiences and and a network for entrepreneurs. Um, but it the, it's endless. Like it's just so many other entrepreneurs that that I talk to on a regular basis. Um, I have a cohort uh, at Goody Nation. I have a, a cohort that we have mo- weekly weekly meetings. We talk every Monday. Um, we're in Entrepreneurs Organization, which is EO or EOA, okay. uh, is an ex- uh, another group. So it, there's a ton, there's a lot of people. Like I'll be here thanking people all day long, literally, um, just because I don't do it by myself at all. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to ask for help. And I think that's another thing. Like there's no ego. You got you gotta have put your ego out the door okay. and let people know that you need you need help. One other thing I would say is you said what would I tell entrepreneurs now? Mm-hmm. A lot of times people especially us minorities, don't want to share their idea. They're like, hey, I don't want to share my idea because somebody might steal it, and I've I don't want people stealing, stealing my idea. Nobody gives a crap about your funky-ass idea, <laughs> right? Because it's not about the idea. Right. It's about execution. Yeah. Can you execute on the idea? Right? Nobody's going to execute it but you. Nobody's going to execute it but you, <laughs> right? So how many people you know is like, you know, I thought of Facebook before Facebook. Really? <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> Did you really? Um, but... But, but people, and that's one thing I did, like told people my idea. Told people my idea. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. And one, it do, what it does, it keeps you honest, right? Because yeah. one of my boys, one of my good friends, I told him my idea. I think a year later, I told him about the idea again. He's like, man, you've been talking about that forever. Like, you have been talking about that forever. So just don't mention it to me unless you're doing something about it, right? Okay. And so it keeps you honest. Yeah. Like, the more and more you tell, because you don't want to tell them the same story every other month yeah. like yeah i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about this but i haven't done anything with it's it yet true. right and so so you want people to hold you accountable yeah. but i would say telling people your idea what you're thinking about doing because they'll shoot holes in it and say have you thought about this that doesn't make sense and then you'll refine it and make it better that's true and i like your perspective on it because some people will say well because so and so shot my idea down i didn't move forward but your take is if they shoot holes in it it makes your idea that much stronger oh yeah of course if some if you could tell somebody your idea and they shoot it down and you don't want to do it you didn't have no idea to begin with like you didn't want you were not that determined and dedicated for that for your idea or to start a company right because if they shoot you down in the beginning you're gonna get shot down we've got shot down so many times it's not even funny right but you have to refine it you have to adapt you have to make it better and so telling people about what you're doing uh will make it better and you know what, you bring up a good point because being in the tech industry, I'm sure you've heard a thousand no's before you got to the first yes. Talk about your persistence and willingness to continue on even after getting so many rejections starting out. I mean, I think it's just part of a part of being a founder, right? Part of being an entrepreneur, you're gonna hear no's. If it was easy, everybody would do it. True. Like everybody would leave their cushy full-time job. I'm like, I'm gonna start a company and yeah. make a million dollars. Like yeah. nobody's giving away a million dollars. 
nobody's giving away a thousand dollars. First of all, right? Not even a dollar. Exactly. <laughs> They're gonna make you earn this money. Yeah. They're gonna earn this money. So and so it's not easy. I think it again. It is. It gets easier the broader your network, right? And the more people that you can like hash your ideas out with, and and the more people who have done it before. I, mean, I think you you hang around. I say your network so much because. Like my network has changed so much, right? Because I think I want to hang around other successful entrepreneurs, yeah. right? When I was in corporate America, I didn't hang around entrepreneurs because that wasn't really what I was trying to do. I was right. potentially trying to be vice president, so let me hang around them, right? Yeah. But now, once you hang around other entrepreneurs, you see how they move, how they act, what they do, um, and the, how can I how can I repeat, right? How can I see what they do, emulate it, and repeat it, exactly. right? Because the there's no there's no new playbook. Like being an, a successful entrepreneur, it, now there's certain steps that you need to take, uh, and you just got to be determined enough to take those steps. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So if you had a life lesson quote, what would that be? Don't give up. Do yeah, not give up. Like fall down nine, get up ten. Yeah. Right. It's and I think it's it's really about determination. I, I, like I said before, like entrepreneurs don't fail; they just stop working or just give up. So. My part is, like, how can I make – and Joy Womack from Goody Nation says this. How can you be better than yesterday? Like, I know what I did yesterday. How can I be better today? Yeah. And if you have that mentality every day you wake up, how can I be better than I was yesterday? Um, then I think you'll, you'll at least have something. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you have – you will have something, right? <laughs> um, because I've had a ton of ideas even from after starting this company. I was like, oh, I would love to focus on that idea. I'd love to focus on that idea. Um, but you, st you still have to stay focused, right? right? So, but I would say, yeah, don't give up. Be determined, be, be focused, and don't give up. And I, and I like that one of the problems that I have as an entrepreneur is striking that life balance, mm -hmm. that work-life balance. So you don't give up, but then you also have to take time for family. You also have to take time to relax. So share with us how you do that. How do you strike that balance? Oh, it's tough. I mean, I'm here now, right? My my, I picked up my boys from from school, took them home, said hello, and, and you know everything, and then and came here. I think it is making sure that the the time you do have is is value add, right? Um, so just and it's hard to fit everything in the day. Like I try to get up in the morning. I get up around five thirty. I'm at the gym by six. I'm home by seven. I take my boys. I usually take my boys to school every morning. Um, I come back home, shower, then go to the office, yeah. right? So that's usually my. I, and then I work till whenever I try to pick my boys up. Um, most most every day about about like five thirty um, after school, five thirty. Come home. Me and my wife try to have dinner. Like I have a have date at least once a week. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tough. It gets you know it, it, you try to fit as much in, and as, as I get older like waking up at 5 30 shoot by 9 30 I'm tired like I'm ready to go to bed yeah. <laughs> so I'm missing the game I'm missing the I'm missing the, you know the playoffs and some things I want to I want to see um and so it's really just about intentionally intentional scheduling right but it's also about asking for help like there's certain you cannot do everything by yourself so if you need somebody to cut the grass if you need somebody to do your laundry if you need somebody to do whatever like can you find a way to make that happen because you don't always have the time in your day to do. I've read the four hour work week, right? Four hour work yeah. week thinking about are there certain things that you can like delegate 
so you don't feel you don't have time to do it. like I'm responsible for laundry in my house, right? So I do I wash clothes and fold clothes. Yeah. Sometimes I can't do it all, right? And so I there's a wrinkle free delivery. What's up to James Barnett, who's also one of my good friends who runs wrinkle free delivery on the east side. Shout out to wrinkle free delivery. Right, I will be giving out. you a call. Exactly. Shout <laughs> out to wrinkle free delivery. Um, they do a great job. Sometimes I take the laundry to him. To his another black owned business, right? Yeah. Um, because I'm like, dude, I cannot do it. 18 loads of clothes. We got soccer uniforms, baseball uniforms. Right. Like, it's so much stuff, right? And so just realizing that you can't do it all by yourself and not feeling bad when you can't. Right. Right? And not feeling like a failure. Oh, man, I cannot do this. I'm so – I'm a failure. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. Yeah. Nobody can. Right? And that's why you got other other people to help you out. And, and you're, you're building a, an empire. So you're absolutely right being able to delegate and not feeling bad about it. And I like your regimen. What I'm hearing is discipline. How important is discipline in building a business? It's, it's, it's very important. And I'm not as disciplined. I, I mean, it, it makes it sound, sound good, but I'm not as disciplined, I think, as I should be. Um, but, yes, it's very important. I think to be – to have a schedule – I think I have ADD a lot of times, so I need a schedule. I need something to – I need, like, my calendar to be, here's what I need to do. So it, when I, I don't have to think about it. Okay. If I know that I'm getting up at 530 so I can be at the gym at 6, like, I don't have to think about that. If I know that I need to be in the office by 9 because I have meetings or whatever or I have a plan to do at 9, like, I have it on my calendar and it's already set up and it's done. Um, to me, that's the easiest way. Uh, that's why I was struggling during COVID, truthfully, because I wasn't in the office. I was at home. And again, I'm like, well, shoot, there's a load of clothes that need to be washed. I tell yeah. you, I know dog need to be walked. Let me do, I would do everything else but work, right? And so I said, I need to get out of the house. I need to be in a work environment because if not, I'm going to just sit here and, and watch ESPN all day. I think all of us as entrepreneurs, we have that go, go, go mm-hmm. spirit that, you know, I got to do something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, just, it's just in us. You got to do it. Right. You got to do it. Because if you don't, you don't. You don't eat, right? Right. <laughs> you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Right? And so if you have that mentality that we have, I have to work. And it's, it's tough. Like I said, it's, it's a lot of times it's tough, but not giving up is, is key. Yeah, absolutely. So share with us, how do we find out more about Countify? We, we talked a lot about the aviation industry. However, you do have crossover into the healthcare industry. And in academia as well. Exactly, yeah. So we were, um, as I said, when, when COVID came, we, uh, all the airline industry just kind of, all the entire travel industry really just yeah. kind of shut down. Um, and so we spend usually spend about 75% of our time on airlines, 25% on other things. And so healthcare was one of the things that we focused on that really anyone would inventory. And we looked at medical devices, right, thinking about, the count the, the the value of medical devices um, and the pain of counting them and so uh, Duke Hospital is one of our clients where we install cameras in their storerooms I saw one of our cameras in their storerooms and we take pictures of certain medical devices m- multiple times a day and what, what we do is we give them a dashboard to show hey this is how much this item has moved in and out of the storeroom and right and so you think about why, why is that important so you might have, not to nerd out too much, but say if you have a, a medical device that costs $1,000 and I have 10 in storage, that's $10,000. But 
but I only use that. And so after, you know, you have trends. And so you only use that after two months, let's say 60 days, only use that item two times. So why do I have 10? Like, why do I have 10 if I only use it tw twice in, in two months? So I can reduce my inventory down by at least half. Why? Okay, let me keep safety stock and keep five in stock. So that's $5,000. And the two, I'm going to use two over the next 60 days. Okay. So that's what we're able to tell you. Hey, you can reduce your inventory uh, amounts by this, uh, you know, reduce your inventory by, by this based on the images that we take, right? So, yes, that's. Um, healthcare perspective, we're, we're trying to grow in healthcare. It's not an industry that we know a lot about, but we're, but we're learning. And in uh, universities, North Carolina A&T was one of our large clients last year where we did a full, asset, a full physical count. We um, had a team that actually physically counted about 30,000 different dorm, dorm and residence hall items to put them into a system, put them into our system so they can, you know, have and see kind of how these items are how these items are moving in and out of the university. And that that's really <clears throat> cool. As it relates to AI as as a whole, where do you see AI going within the next three to five years? And where do you see Countify's place in it? Yeah, so I think we want to, our goal is to be uh, the number one inventory management platform uh, for airlines and healthcare, right? Um, and, and we haven't, we're not getting into academia, warehousing, and construction yet okay. um, because we just don't know. I'm talking about, you know, in the next, in the next you know, 36 months or so. But AI is just changing so much, right? I think there's so much that you can learn from, from artificial intelligence because it's a part of everything we do, right? Everybody has a phone. Your phone is now is tracking whether you know it or not. It's tracking whether you go to, whether you go to the grocery store, what time you go to the grocery store, what time you go to – to Chick-fil-A and McDonald's it's and what time scary. you go to work. Yeah. And so, but it, it's, it's giving you, you might go to, you understand, you leaving work and you see, oh, I got to, I pull up my phone, I pull up Facebook and Instagram and now an ad for peanut butter comes up. Why is that? Because that's the normal time you go to the grocery store. Right? So you think about how much data that you're actually giving. So that's really all we are as a data company. Like we gather images in one type of data and put it into another type of data. Right from a from a AI perspective, but I think AI is going to be more ingrained in everything we do. Right, it's going to be it's going to influence more than it already does the TV shows we watch, the I, the clothes that we buy, the groceries we buy, just because it's going to take it's going to track everything that you do. Right, Alexa in your house is not only listening when you say Alexa, right, that has to know when you say Alexa, so it has to listen to 100% of things that you do. So when you talk about, oh, we need more milk, oh, we need more this, then it's, it's, con it's constantly thinking and having those ads ready for you. So it's almost scary. I don't, I'm, I don't think we're at the point. I'm not a conspiracy theorist where I think I robot, the robots are going to come and turn around and take okay. care of the world, take over the world. I'm not, I'm not there. So we shouldn't take Terminator to heart. We should not take Terminator <laughs> to heart. Not yet anyway. <laughs> um, but I think it is, is the goal is to make life easier but i think in that in that that same vein we have to be careful that it doesn't make life more complicated okay right? because i think it's we think about before we had computers before we had scheduling it, all these things are supposed to make life easier but who do you know is not busier today than they were 10 years ago that's right, right? even even a couple of years <clears throat> ago because exactly. i feel like the pandemic has really sped things up exactly exactly because people the it's the it, because 
artificial intelligence is so smart, it's supposed to make things easier, which means you want things faster. Mm. But we, if you want things faster, it means people have to work harder, right? Yeah, okay. Do you think that it will get to the point mm. where everything, all aspects of our lives will become autonomous? No, no. Okay. We still need people. No, we still need people. I think even the things you think that Amazon and Google and Apple are doing that we think are autonomous, there's still a lot of people behind, still a lot of like hamsters moving the hamster wheel. So I don't think that we're at a stage in our lifetime or the next lifetime where it's fully autonomous. Like we're not the Jetsons yet, right? <laughs> so okay. I think there, there will be more autonomy, but not, I think we're still a ways away from like even self-driving cars, 100% of the car self-driving, right? Because right. you have infrastructure, you have a lot mm -hmm. of things that need to be in place for that. But um, yeah, I think we still have a ways to go. So for our viewers and our listeners who there's someone out there who may be interested in starting their own business and uh, who may want to move into a technology component, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? Where would they start? So I think the how I started actually was YouTube University. <laughs> you can go to YouTube understanding one understanding kind of what you think your solution is right um well that maybe that's two one is what problem are you trying to solve okay. right i think you always have to start with some kind of problem because if people are not going to pay you for what you're doing it's, it's a hobby right it's not a business so how can you figure out a way to solve a problem and two to get in the technology field understand where technologists are or entrepreneurs are hanging out Right, there's Facebook groups, there's meetup groups, there's a bunch of, in almost every major city in the world, there's some university that has some type of technology program, right? That for late, later stage entrepreneurs, whether you're you know, in high school or whether you're in the senior home, there's, there's, there's a group for you that, can, that will allow you to vet your ideas and discuss your ideas and things that you want, you want to do. So I would say start with a problem, understand that problem, to find a community. You find a community of people that you can discuss that problem with. You're absolutely right, leaning on the universities. We have a number of them in the Atlanta area. Now, for you, if there is a company out there who is interested in learning more about Countify, how do they reach you? Very easy. We're at Countify.com, like C-O-U-N-T-I-F-I.com. Um, you can reach, reach out to us, me directly, it's David at Countify.com. Uh, we have sales at Countify.com. <laughs> We're very, very easy to find, but Countify.com is the easiest way. We're also on LinkedIn, uh, which is our main channel of, of social media and communication, how we communicate. Now, you also have your own podcast that we have to shout out, Count It Up we Podcast. Do, exactly. We do have Count It Up where we talk about entrepreneurship, any innovation, and the sexiest topic of all, inventory management. Um, so yes, we have uh, where we we talk to a ton of people just about the inventory management space, the in the innovation space. It's nothing like your podcast, Kim. It's way it pales in comparison to to the quality of your podcast. However, we do have one, a small little itty bitty podcast that people like listen to when they want. To. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate you, but you have some cool people who are guests on your platform. So for our listeners, our viewers, please go and check out Countify.com and go to the Counted Up Podcast tab so you can check out David Haley's podcast. 
Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of podcasts and radio stations, we want to give a shout out to 102.6 The Situation on the campus of Morris Brown College. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here in in this space. I so know. this is pretty cool. Yeah, this, this is, is pretty cool, right? Does do, does that thing? I like it. Right, I like exactly. It. So definitely have to give them a shout out. Right. Well, David, I want to thank you for your time this evening, and you have dropped so many gems for people who are wanting to start up a business. You've inspired us, so thank you for being here. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, much success to you and everything you do. Thank you. Same here. And for those who want to learn more about Blue Scorpion Reputation Management, please visit us online at bluescorpionrm.com. Well, that does it for the week. Thank you to our audience for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Thank you.